welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast, where we share information to empower you to be your own health hero. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to another episode of the Move Daily Health Podcast. Once again, I'm Dan Wallace here with Freya Spence, and today we welcome to the show Patrick McEwen. Patrick is the president of Bateco Professionals International and, quite frankly, is a world-renowned leader on breathing and how it carries over to both health and performance. Patrick has written seven books, including three Amazon bestsellers. His book, The Oxygen Advantage, is based on his experience of working with thousands of clients and hundreds of healthcare professionals, along with his extensive research of breath hold training over the past 13 years. In today's podcast, you will learn about the importance of nasal breathing and how breathing chronically through the mouth can lead to everything from crooked teeth and attention deficit disorders to mental health issues and chronic disease. A bunch of stuff you do not want. As always, if you enjoy our content, please subscribe and share and leave us a review where possible. Without further ado, let's dive right into the podcast for 60 minutes of knowledge bombs from the one and only Patrick McCune. Enjoy. All right, Patrick. Well, thank you so much for making time for today. How are you doing? Good. Yeah, how are you? We're well. And um, we reached out to you before this viral outbreak. But even prior to that, breath work was getting more and more attention, particularly as stress in general was high. It's only higher now, I think. <laughs> but right off the bat, can you touch on your personal foray into breath work as someone who suffered from asthma years ago? Sure. Um, I came across it by accident. And I suppose like many people who work in industries which are not necessarily, um, you know, traditional. But uh, yeah, I had asthma as a kid uh, going into my teens. And with that, you don't just have asthma. I had a stuffy nose as well. And if your nose is stuffy, your sleep is off. So usually if breathing is off, it's not just isolated to breathing. And with asthma, you tend to have breathing pattern disorders. And the same goes for somebody with anxiety or somebody who's prone to panic disorder. They also will tend to have breathing pattern disorders. It feeds into their condition, but it also feeds into other issues, including poor sleep. And poor sleep in turn is feeding back into, um, for example, somebody with anxiety or panic disorder. So yeah, I came across by accident. I learned to uh, breathe through my nose. So something that should be very obvious to, to most people, but it's not so obvious. It's not often practiced. And um, breathing pattern disorders are relatively common, and we were seeing it more and more in children. Yeah, we certainly are. And so can you just elaborate a little bit on that mouth versus nose function? Yeah. Because um, I don't think a lot of people understand that mouths aren't for breathing. Exactly. Well, it's a lot of doctors don't understand it either, which is kind of bizarre. But yet any, any medical textbook which would talk about the functions of the nose, you will see breathing as listed. And you won't see a function of the mouth as being breathing because breathing isn't a function of the mouth, even though as human beings, we can breathe through the mouth. But I think throughout our evolution, the only time that we mouth-breathed was in times of real critical stress, not even when we were doing physical exercise. Our ancestors were able to run with their mouths closed Many primitive today, present day groups, they're able to run with their mouths closed. And it doesn't make sense to do a physical exercise with your mouth open. It doesn't make sense to, to breathe through an open mouth during sleep or during rest. Because your nose, by breathing through your nose, it increases oxygen uptake in the blood. It leads to a more regular breathing pattern. It, in, it can increase oxygen delivery to the tissues. You harness a gas called nasal nitric oxide. Nasal breathing during rest slows down breathing, and this has got a calming effect on the brain. And the nose is connected with the, the lower regions of the lung, um, the, the diaphragm breathing muscle, whereas mouth is connected with fast and upper chest breathing. So mouth breathing, we typically are going to be in a fight-or-flight response. And if we have the mouth open, we are 1.8 times more likely to have a sleep problem. And of course, you know, there's a connection here. Breathing, the emotions, and sleep. And if one is off, it feeds into the other and um, it's bi-directional. You know, we can't just have breathing without looking at sleep and we can't just look at uh, the emotions without looking at sleep and vice versa. 
Thank you for explaining that because I think that a lot of people tend to think that it's optional and a lot of people are trained that way, especially in activity, mm-hmm. trained to just breathe and whatever you wind up doing is fine. And so we find a lot of athletes will exhibit exhaustion earlier if they're mouth breathing the entire time, but are not really well educated on that. But outside of athletics, um, day to day, a lot of people spend time mouth breathing without being aware of it because, you know, we'll, we'll find a way to breathe, whether we're conscious of it or not. So can you give us some telltale signs that a mouth breather can look for beyond, you know, the evident like dry mouth? Sure, sure. Um, well, the dry mouth is a real marker. If you wake up in the morning with a dry mouth, you're unlikely to have a good night's sleep. You know, there's no there's no real diagnostic clue of whether the individual is having the mouth open or not. You know, oftentimes, like doctors are, they're wondering, well, how can we diagnose mouth breathing? Well, I'm not able to diagnose mouth breathing, but I kind of use logic and common sense. Mm-hmm. If a client comes into me or a child comes into me, and if I if I look at them and they have their mouth open and their their tongue is kind of midway or or on the floor of their mouth, and if they're spending you know, a, a period of time with their mouth open, not when they're talking and not when they're eating or drinking, you know, when they're distracted, are, is the mouth hanging open? And the mouth should never be hanging open for more than 30 seconds at a time. So if I see this, like, it is very difficult to quantify it in terms of, you know, like, and I know doctors have been trying to do it and researchers have been trying to do it. And I think this is why mouth breathing has not got um, so much attention because Researchers want to quantify it what age in a child's life, you know, is nasal obstruction, you know, detrimental to the child's development and how, for how long should the child have a stuffy nose and how long should the child be mouth breathing and how many hours a day should the child be mouth breathing and how many times a day or adult for that matter. And it's just difficult to quantify it. Um, it's probably, you know, it's probably fair to say that not everybody who mouth breathes, they're not going to have their mouth open 100% of the time. but there is a tendency for them to switch because, of course, it's, breathing is generally an involuntary activity, even though we have voluntary control over it. But uh, like you, you go for a walk and you see guys and gals and mouth is wide open. Um, you will see people with rhinitis or a stuffy nose and they have a greater tendency to breathe through an open mouth because if you feel air hunger when you switch to nose breathing, you're not going to continue with nasal breathing. Mm-hmm. So anytime a child or an adult, if they feel that they are not getting enough air through their nose, they're going to automatically switch to mouth breathing to alleviate that air hunger. But uh, when you switch to mouth breathing, your nose doesn't correct itself. You know, it's it's remarkable. Once we switch to nasal breathing and we continue breathing through the nose, the nose does work better. Nasal congestion reduces. And also there's a series of different exercises that you can do to to alleviate nasal congestion. So whether it's rhinitis, um, if it's chronic rhinitis, or if it's hay fever. So we have hay fever season coming up now in the next couple of months. And for those individuals, they can do a lot to help their nose. And it comes back to it. If you have rhinitis, if you have a stuffy nose, you are 1.8 times likely to have a sleep issue. So that's going to contribute to fatigue, cognitive difficulty, and irritability. That's great. I actually just got off a call with a client and mm-hmm. she she was telling me that uh, well she got a CPAP not too long ago because she was having yeah. sleep issues, and it really helped with her sleep. And so I asked her if she was breathing through her mouth during the day, and she said yes, constantly, all the time. I can't breathe through my nose. I've had a runny nose or a stuffed nose for as long as I can remember, and I can't just breathe through my nose. Yes. So yeah. one of the things that I tell everyone is you know the body gets really good regardless of its you know, cravings for food or how we breathe, the body gets really good at doing what you do on a regular basis. You train yourself to be good at something or bad at something. It's not that you can't do it. It's just that what you do all the time, you're going to be good at and what you don't, you're not. <laughs> now, yeah, yeah, totally. now, people who are mouth breathing all day long, can you just kind of go into the mechanisms about how this impacts health negatively or how this might inhibit weight loss, for example? Well, you, you spoke about sleep apnea there. There's no, no, you know, there's definitely no question that mouth breathing is contributing to sleep apnea on a number of reasons. If you breathe through an open mouth, it tends to suck moisture out of the upper airways. As the upper airways, which is including the throat, as it dries out, it can become inflamed. The airway narrows. This increases resistance to breathing, increases the risk of collapse. As well, if you have the mouth open, your tongue is not going to be in the roof of the mouth. 
and as a result, your tongue can be falling back into the throat to reduce airway size. Mouth breathing, uh, you tend to have the lower jaws falling back into the airway. So the upper airway, which is the, you know, basically the throat and the back of the nose, the back of the mouth, throat itself, that can collapse in a few different places. And if it collapse, collapses completely during sleep, the individual stops breathing. And they stop breathing to the point that their blood oxygen saturation is decreasing. And this takes them out of deep sleep. So they're more likely to be in lighter sleep and they're waking up feeling tired. It's a very serious complaint and it's a big stress in the body, especially the heart. You know, there's people who are having sleep apnea, obstructive sleep apnea over a period of time. It can lead to, to high blood pressure and to, to other conditions, including dementia, etc. So mouth breathing is detrimental in terms of sleep, but it's also detrimental in terms of the emotions because mouth breathing is faster and upper chest breathing and fast upper chest breathing agitates the mind. So if we want to bring a calmness to the mind, it's very important to breathe using the lower regions of the lungs. Breathe abdominally is what most people will say because there's a connection between the diaphragm breathing muscle and the emotions. So using deep breathing, but deep breathing shouldn't be big breathing. There's a big, big misconception out there about, you know, what involves good breathing patterns. And some person is stressed and they're told to take this deep breath or take this big breath. It's crazy because breathing hard doesn't increase oxygen uptake in the blood and it doesn't increase oxygen delivery to the tissues. And people who are chronically mouth breathing or who have breathing pattern disorders They'll often have cold hands and cold feet. Now that's a sign that blood vessels have constricted, that circulation is impaired. And circulation is impaired not just to the hands and to the feet, but throughout the body, including the brain, including the heart. So mouth breathing is it just it's it's just not right, you know. It's in terms of dental health, in terms of sleep, in terms of childhood development, the development of their face and jaws, cognitive development in children, and people with anxiety, people with depression. If we look at how you can change your breathing and by slowing it down to six breaths per minute and breathing in and out through your nose, driven by the diaphragm, how it helps bodily systems disturbed by stress to increase the normal functioning of the autonomic nervous system. So I think you know, as long as people continue with bad habits of mouth breathing, um, it's not only sleep apnea, but snoring through the mouth. And of course, you know, if your sleep quality isn't good, that's going to contribute to, to other health issues. And sleep medicine has changed quite a lot in the last four or five years with the recognition of four different phenotypes. And um, breathing does play a role actually in all four. And just as breathing plays a role in sleep, it harnesses a gas called nitric oxide that's produced in the nose and the paranasal sinuses. And nitric oxide seems to play some role in sleep, but it's not fully understood. But also, if you have regular breathing, your sleep is better. And if you're breathing through your nose, you're naturally bringing the air deeper into the lungs. This increases lung volume and the throat is less likely to collapse. Mm -hmm. So I would say to anybody, if you are susceptible to sleep disorder breathing, never have an open mouth. And uh, for physical exercise, there's so many different benefits to it. Because again, nasal breathing is taking the air deeper into the lungs. And with nose breathing, you do pick up nitric oxide from the nose and you carry that into the lower airways. And nitric oxide helps to redistribute the blood throughout the lungs. So it increases oxygen uptake in the blood. But um, if you look at George Dallam's paper, George Dallam is a professor in one of the universities in the States. And he's written on the importance of nasal breathing during physical exercise. And the science is only starting to catch up. He's, he's really the only individual that's writing and doing research papers on nasal breathing during physical exercise. And in 2018, he, he looked at 10 recreational athletes. He got them breathing through the nose for six months during all physical exercise, and then he measured. So he tested them six months after they had sustained nasal breathing continuously during exercise for six months. The fraction of expired oxygen was less, meaning that they utilized their oxygen better. The respiratory rate was 39 with nose breathing versus 49 with mouth breathing, but their ventilation was 22% less with nasal breathing, even though they were able to attain 100% of their work rate capacity. Mm -hmm. So if you can get any athlete 
recreational or not. And if you can have them do 100% of their work rate with 22% less ventilation, that's a real saving in terms of economy. Mm-hmm. And that's not even talking about the connection between the nose and the diaphragm and functional breathing using the lower regions of the lungs with the generation of intra-abdominal pressure for stabilization of the spine for functional movement. So if breathing isn't normal, movement isn't normal. And if movement isn't normal, you're more at risk of injury. So if you look at the papers by Kiesel, where he looked at 51 individuals and uh, he assessed their breathing patterns and he said, we can assess and screen for breathing pattern disorders in the athlete population using breath to hold time. So we've been using breath to hold time for 20 years. And he described the breath to hold time as follows. Take a normal breath in and out through your nose, hold your nose, and time in seconds until you feel the first involuntary movement of the breathing muscles. At the end, let go. Your breathing should be normal. And he said, if your breath hold time is above 25 seconds, there's an 89% chance that you don't have dysfunctional breathing patterns. That's fantastic. And I love that you touched on the athletic component because I started doing just nasal breathing for high output um, on cycling mm-hmm. about eight years ago. And then um, was looking into it while I had a, a disc issue as well. So it, it had the paired mm-hmm. benefit of um, helping with the endurance sports I take part in, but then also uh, stabilizing for the spine appropriately. And we've transferred a lot of our runners and cyclists into nasal breathing. And the first comment is always that they feel like they've lost power, they've lost air. And I think uh, yeah. having that that study cited where they followed them for six months is just honing in on the fact that this is all practice-based. And yes, yeah. you'll slow down at first, or yes, you'll feel uh, breath hunger for quite some time at first, but the adaptation is, uh, or sorry, the, the benefits once you've adapted are by and large way, way better than just defaulting to whatever it is that um, they've been doing up until that point, if it was mouth breathing or a combination of the two. It's free. I totally agree with you. And it doesn't take six months. You know, I know Dalam, he tested his individuals over six months, but generally about eight to 10 weeks. So it is true. People, when they first switch and they do physical exercise with the mouth closed, they feel an increased air hunger. But as you said, you know, once the individual keeps on doing their physical exercise with the mouth closed, the air hunger diminishes. And that has been shown in studies. And by the way, air hunger just signifies that carbon dioxide is increased in the blood. So as carbon dioxide is increasing in the blood, hemoglobin, which is a protein in the red blood cell, which is carrying oxygen, releases oxygen more readily. So in actual fact, an increased carbon dioxide in the blood is beneficial for increased oxygen delivery to the tissues. And again, this is where people have sometimes get mixed up with breathing because they believe it's good to bring in oxygen and to get rid of the waste gas, carbon dioxide. But we have to bear in mind that the release of oxygen from the blood to the tissues to working muscles is dependent on the presence of carbon dioxide. So, yeah, it's it's the other few things that just I'll mention now in case I forget, nostril size can be a thing here as well. So if you have somebody with a small nose, they'll generally have an increased air hunger. So if somebody has, say, a deviated septum or, or anatomically a small nose, but if they have an adequate airway, they could feel that just a little bit more suffocated. So we use a cockle maneuver test. And basically what they do is put their fingers either side of their nostrils and just gently prise their nostrils apart. Do they feel a difference? That's called the cockle maneuver. And uh, you could wear a nasal dilator. So a nasal dilator is is inserted into the nostrils either side just to gently open up the nose and that alleviates air hunger. And the other thing is a higher bolt score. If you have an individual with a bolt score of less than 20, 25 seconds, they're naturally going to feel an increased air hunger because they are their breathing is harder and more, more inefficient. So with a higher bolt score, breathlessness reduces. It's easier to sustain nasal breathing. And with a good sized nose, breathlessness reduces and it's easier to sustain nasal breathing. We're laughing a little bit because Dane, we always joke that Dane has quite a big sized nose. Um, oh, he's so. good for him. He's, he's, he's blessed. My, yeah. my, my nostrils are enormous. No big well, deal. You know what? Well, fair play to you because it's, it's a huge benefit when you, when you switch. And our ancestors were that way. Yeah. You know, if you look at Neanderthals, 
there's if you just put it into Google, Neanderthals, large noses. Researchers only discovered two years ago that, yeah, Neanderthals are these wonderfully wide nostrils and nasal cavity to allow to be able to handle a large volume of air. But uh, Europeans and, uh, of course, our cousins who have emigrated to, to North America, with that, we can often have anatomically not the best of noses, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and now speaking of anatomy, um, you've also spoken, this was news to us when we first read your book a while back, you spoke to the development of the jaw and the palate and um, issues with teeth as well, and even just facial structure as a whole, related to tongue position, and uh, mm -hmm. also related just to, as a result of that, breathing patterns in children. Yeah, it's huge. And here is really where it's not getting attention, unfortunately. There was a Norwegian orthodontist back in the 1970s. His name was E.P. Harvold. And uh, he conducted quite yeah, experiments with, with young rhesus monkeys. And he got groups of young rhesus monkeys and he blocked their noses with silicon nose plugs. And he forced these monkeys to breathe through an open mouth. All of the experimental animals, those monkeys who were forced to, to mouth breathe, their faces developed differently from that of the control animals. They developed crooked teeth and they developed, you know, narrowing of the facial structure, high palates, overcrowding of teeth and setback of the jaws. And these are all features that are found in human beings. And the dental industry has debated this since 1909. I have a journal that, were, that was around at the time. It's called Dental Cosmos. And we see the exact same issues there. So in 1909, dentist, a dentist writing in, in Dental Cosmos said that children who are mouth breathing, they're un, unattentive in school, their face is dull and expressionless, and the teacher will often accuse the child of not paying attention. Well, 20, 2020, uh, it's the same issues. It hasn't changed in 111 years. And this is, I was talking about the science and the researchers they're trying to quantify it. And this is where the debate is, you know, for how long should the child be mouth breathing before it's clinically significant? What age should mouth breathing start before, you know, it causes issues? Um, and some, some doctors won't agree with Harvold's papers because he totally blocked the noses of the young monkeys, but total nasal obstruction is rare in humans, you know? And I think they're missing the points here because it's not about the degree of nasal obstruction. It's whether the nasal obstruction was, was sufficient to cause mouth breathing. And there is no question that mouth breathing is detrimental to the development of the face and the jaws of the kid. Because if you have your mouth open, you cannot have your tongue resting in the roof of the mouth. And your tongue is very, very strong. You know, it's one of the strongest muscles of its size in the human body. So you want the mouth closed. You want your tongue resting in the roof of the mouth. Your tongue is wide and U-shaped. And it's the pressures that, they, that are exerted by the tongue that helps to develop the shape of the maxilla, which is the top jaw. But also more importantly, is to drive the direction of the growth forward in the face. And this helps open up airways. Now, luckily, there are some tremendous orthodontists in the United States who know about this. Not them all, mind you. Um, there's some, including Dr. William Hang and Dr. James Bronson. Kevin Boyd is a pediatric dentist and also anthropologist from Chicago. And, you know, Hila Robbins. Um, there's different organizations, the Academy of Orofacial Myofunctional Therapy. Uh, myofunctional Therapy is a great, you know, method as well that's going with this. So there are many healthcare professionals aware of it, but it hasn't, it just hasn't got down into the, the mainstream. A lot of gen general practitioners won't be aware of it. And of course, parents, unfortunately, aren't aware of it. And despite this, between 25 to 50% of studied children persistently mouthbreed. And the problem is nobody's saying anything to these kids. I actually think it should be taught in schools. I, th I think it should be taught of the childhood curriculum. You know, a little class in biology and talk about the functions of breathing through the nose. Because I was that mouthbreather in school. We're seeing these kids coming in. They're not doing well academically. They're getting frustrated. There's increased risk of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And also, if these children are mouth breathing and having sleep disorder breathing, and sleep disorder breathing just means snoring in a child. Child doesn't have to be stopping breathing to have sleep disorder breathing. Snoring is sufficient to cause a reduction in the, this child's 
academic ability. And we are assessing children. You know, society is assessing children on the basis of what they can gain academically. But they're not determining, is this child breathing well? And is this child sleeping well? If you're not sleeping right, how on earth can we concentrate? Even as, a, as an adult, you know, you know, we should be able to wake up feeling refreshed and alert that if somebody handed us a complex piece of text, we're able to hold our attention on it. And um, if our sleep is disrupted, our attention is disrupted, our concentration is affected. And also it does lead to anxiety. Yeah, I was, uh, as a kid, I checked all those boxes. I uh, definitely was yeah. a mouth breather. I remember my mother telling me to close your mouth. Like, don't, you don't want your mouth hanging open. I remember her specifically telling me that I had crooked teeth. I had attention issues, uh, whereas my sister didn't have any of those issues, and she has straight teeth today. I, uh, yeah. I ended up getting braces, and mm -hmm. uh, that kind of cleared that up. But another thing that I wanted to dive into is also the diet. Because from what I yes. understand, uh, food and especially processed foods can increase uh, the need to expel CO2, I think. Yeah, it, it can. It can do, you know, but it's it's an interesting one in terms of diet. Like your mom was, was totally right, encouraging children to breathe through the nose. I think it's so vital. And um, we, we put children's exercises completely out for free. So we had a we had professionally filmed and edited etc and we put the entire program it's online you leave, you'll see it on youtube every single exercise for kids so any child anywhere in the world they can sit down turn on a laptop or whatever smart tv and they can look at the videos and they can practice them and they can learn how to decongest their nose how to improve their breathing how to breathe functionally etc now is there a connection between diet and breathing i think there is um i'm not the only one to say it and you know there was a book written back in the 1930s called nutrition and physical degeneration by dr weston price and he was a dentist he visited a number of different countries throughout the world and he observed primitive groups when they switched from a traditional diet over to a processed diet and of course what was the processed diets well you're talking about sugar mainly now children first generation children when they switched from a traditional diet which they survived on for tens of thousands of years often, first-generation children became outbreeders and developed crooked teeth and had craniofacial abnormalities. So food seems to be the precursor here. And is there any other connections then? Chewing, I think, is going to be a huge one because primitively, you know, we our ancestors, we were always chewing food. And the chewing of the food helped to develop the muscles of the face necessary for good muscle tone. And breastfeeding would, would come on board with this as well. Breastfeeding is not just about nutrition for the baby, but it's also about the you know manipulation. It takes work for a baby to take milk from a breast. And this is great exercise for those muscles, developing muscle tone. So breastfed babies, I would say generally in the main, depending on the length of time that they've been breastfed for, will have better facial structures. But of course, for a child, in order to breastfeed, one needs to look at tongue tie. And some children are born genetically with narrow facial structures and a high narrow palate. And I was reading, there is a paper by Dr. Christian Gimelow, who sadly has passed away, but he wrote a paper on young infants who died from sudden infant death syndrome. And Dr. Christian Gimelow is considered to be the father of sleep medicine. And he spoke of these young infants. The only thing that they had preceding death was a runny nose but all of them had a high narrow palate. And the problem is that if the roof of the mouth is high, it infringes on the nasal cavity and it infringes on breathing. And children, when they are born, are innate nasal breathers because they, they haven't switched yet to mouth breathing. And anatomically, they can't for a few months. So I think we need to be looking at young infants. You know, as when a baby is born, somebody should examine, does this child, does this young infant have a high narrow palate? Because that's one of the risk markers for sudden infant death syndrome, wow. which yet has been overlooked. Tongue tie. Somebody needs to be looking at tongue tie. Is the child able to get the tongue off the floor of the mouth in order to be adequately able to milk, um, express milk from the mother? That's often neglected. Mouth breathing, as we're talking about. You know, the simplest things 
We've gone so complex with science and technology, and we've overlooked the very basic things that have helped us throughout the generations and the survival of the human species. It's, you know, we've, I've heard stories of midwives in 16th century France. They had an extra long fingernail. And I know it, it sounds a bit kind of gruesome, but, or gross, but, you know, the baby, the young infant, if their tongue was tied to the floor of the mouth, the midwife would just gently snip the tongue tie to allow the child to, to breastfeed. So it was a case of life or death. Right. But we've lost all of that. And one of the good things about the shutting down and lockdown that we're facing at the moment is that all McDonald's restaurants are closed. Now, I'm only hoping that, now I'd feel sorry for the staff that are working there they are trying to make a living, but it would be great news if after the, the lockdown is lifted that every McDonald's restaurant in the country and throughout the world, if it was shut down for good, I think it would be very good for humanity. We have to learn processed foods are not beneficial. Of course, we know that. And, you know, nutrition. And it, you, you, I think you see it in people's faces. People who are eating a very poor diet, look at their faces and tell me if you cannot see, you know, is it nutrition that's mainly the cause of that? I don't know. But certainly lack of nutrition is, is I think it comes true in the faces. Yeah. And what we do think we've noted that uh, with the lockdowns that we currently have, a lot of people um, just by consequence of the situation have to cook at home, which is fantastic because a lot of people Ooh. out, you know, six to 21 times a week. And um, just that switch over alone will be quite impactful. Now, yes. when it comes to, um, to taping the mouth closed. Now we have done this ourselves when we get, when we are fighting off a cold, we'll do it. Um, I used to do this when I was first training it in sport. Now I don't cause I can just keep it closed. Um, and we'll sometimes get clients to do this at night. And typically the response is, is that they think that's really extreme to tape your mouth at night. They think that that's just horrific, <laughs> even though it's a really thin thing sure. to tape. Um, can you speak to the benefits of that? And then also just that you have, um, we're really intrigued by the myo tape that's been released for children, especially in order to kind of ease it and then perhaps potentially broach the awkwardness of that. Sure, Freya. Um, I think it's essential we breathe through a nose during sleep. You know, in terms of, I wasn't wake, when when I was waking up, in the mornings with a dry mouth, I never was feeling refreshed um, when I had the mouth open. And I was mouth breathing for 20 years. And I even had an operation on my nose in 1994, but um, I was never told to breathe through it afterwards. So because it's not enough just to address the obstruction of the nose, we have to address the habit. And for 20 years, we've been advocating all of the clients who'd come into me. I always got them to tape up their lips at night. And I used at the time 3M one inch micropore tape, which was grand. It served the purpose. It could be a little bit sticky in the morning, but it did the trick. It's hypoallergenic. It's cheap. And uh, it's, it's, it's widely available. That's what we use. And there are a number of tapes in the market. Lip Seal tape now is developed by a dentist from Colorado, Dr. Frank Seaman. It's pretty good. And yeah, we've always had like initially, okay, adults can be a little bit, yeah, okay. And, you know, just the first couple of nights and they might be taking off the tape. But when I start talking about the benefits of concentration, reduce bruxing, reduce snoring, reduce risk of obstructive sleep apnea, bad breath is also contributed to by mouth breathing. Um, dental decay is contributed to by mouth breathing. You know, even runners, runners can be subject to dental cavities because, and it can be related to running time. And of course, yeah, they, they drink glucosate or different high sugary drinks which could contribute, which can and will contribute to, to dental decay. But mouth breathing is going to be a factor there. So I talk about the benefits and, uh, you know, then I, I really do get people to switch to nasal breathing and the taping is key. Now for children, we've always had an issue. How do we get a child breathing through the nose? How do we address the habit? And I used to have them wear tape during the, the daytime when they were watching TV if they're on the parent's iPhone or something like that or iPad or whatever they're doing, playing a game, have the kids taped up just to try and get the connection between breathing through the nose and the brain so that the habit is being developed. 
nighttime was always an issue. And uh, that's why myotape came about, because it, it's based on kinesiotape. Kinesiotape is stretchable. It's always traditionally used in the skin. It's hypoallergenic. Now, we did have to make some changes to the glue, so it wasn't so sticky for the face. Mm. Um, so it was a balance. It's a balance between hypoallergenic and uh, having a glue that's you know non, non-latex, and uh, it's a critic glue. Japanese technology, we altered the glue so that the child can adequately wear the tape. So basically, it surrounds the mouth. It's in the shape of an O. And the child takes the tape and they stretch it by about 20 to 30%. And they apply it surrounding their, their lips. But the elasticity of the tape will gently bring the lips together. So if the child forgets about it during the day, um, you know, if they do have their mouth open, the tape will remind them to breathe through the nose. And also during sleep, it's it's putting gentle pressure on the lips to keep them together to remind and to maintain lip closure. So we overcome the risk of, say, if, if there was a child, you know, there's always a risk there in terms of you couldn't just tape a child's mouth because there could be a risk of vomiting or etc. And also the perception of vomit. Of course, children have to be over four years of age. And um, to have functional breathing, in other words, to be able to breathe through the nose before they do that. Yeah. So, so yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it solved an issue we were trying to sort out for a long, long time. And um, yeah, it's been good. I'm happy with it. That's fantastic, um, especially to have overcome even just the adhesive because pulling tape off that's too strong in the morning is not particularly pleasant. No, it's, it's not challenge. nice. Definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> I was excited there for a second that uh, maybe we'd just be able to tell everyone right now, all the parents at home who have kids staying with them during this quarantine and lockdown, just tape your kids' mouths all day. It's good for their health. Now. <laughs> it's good for the parents' health as well. I would think so. <laughs> now, um, we had a question about one area of humans who suffer from POTS or fainting conditions. Have you had any experience with those populations when it comes to retraining breath work? I haven't. I've had some experience with people with hypotension, um, which they could have bouts of dizziness. And we did see, in, in some instances, we've seen it normalize, hypotension become normal blood pressure. And the research seems to show that it's cadence breathing that helped. So the condition you mentioned, I'm not familiar with it. But at the same time, I have seen, you know, vertigo can be sometimes a symptom that's listed from chronic hyperventilation. Mm-hmm. And I would say to somebody, if somebody was to ask me, will it help or not? I don't know with these conditions. But what I would say is, give it a go. Start breathing through your nose. Start gently slowing down your breathing. And also, if you find that stress is making your symptoms worse, it can be very helpful to have a means of helping to reduce stress. And I know this could come down as well. You pointed on food earlier on. Like people with breathing pattern disorders, you know, there is such thing as emotional eating. One is getting stressed and then they tend to eat more. So anything that we can have to bring the balance between the body's relaxation and stress response, a balance between the parasympathetic and sympathetic, that we can influence the autonomic nervous system, those functioning of the body outside of our control. And the cadence breathing of six breaths per minute seems to be where the research is really at with this. And this is breathing nose, this is breathing slow, and this is breathing light. And it's breathing using the diaphragm with lateral expansion and contraction of the lower ribs. And the research looking at this with anxiety, PTSD, uh, depression, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, asthma, COPD, poor aerobic fitness, etc. That I think we can often bring benefits, but I can't say exactly in those specific conditions. So again... Somebody comes in to me, they ask me, will it, will it help with this? If I'm not sure, I'll say, listen, I don't know, but do put it into practice because it can help your sleep, it can help your mind, um, it can reduce breathlessness during physical exercise, and overall, it's, it's a good thing to do. Absolutely, and I mean, it still helps uh, ensure that the baseline health is, is intact within sure. underlying conditions. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So right along that line with anxiety and stress being high for people in general, especially just now with the lockdowns and everything that's happening in the world, we know this can cause shallow breathing, mouth breathing. We like to use little things throughout the day, like mealtimes, bathroom breaks, when we wake up just as check-in reminders to breathe through the nose. Do you have any suggestions on when or how people can check in with their breath day to day? You know, it's breathing is something... The benefits of focusing on your breath is something that breathing is something that you carry around with you all the time. And generally, for most of us, um, we live stuck in our heads. I spent 20 years stuck in my head, continuously regurgitating thoughts and thinking and thinking and monitoring and thinking. And, you know, I'd walk down, go into a park or walk down a street. I wouldn't see the street because I was there in body, but I wasn't there in presence because. My attention was thinking and, you know, we are, we are trained how to think, but we are not trained how to stop thinking. I think it's one of the most beautiful things we can do is take our attention out of the mind onto the breath. And yeah, at first it can be a little bit tricky. It's about, it's just like switching to nose breathing. You know, you might notice that your mind wanders off, you bring it back. And if you notice that your mind is wandering a lot, you can be sure that your, you know, your, your repetitive thought activity is pretty active. And if your thought activity is active, then it impacts your concentration because concentration is our ability to hold our attention on a subject matter for a period of time without distraction. Now, anything that we produce in this world, um, any endeavor that we do, any work we do, relationships with people, it's really important that we can place our attention, 100% of our attention on doing what we are doing. We can only do that if we have the ability to have a concentrated mind. But when the mind is very active, we don't place our attention doing what we are doing because our attention is consumed by thought. So we want to reduce the consumption of the mind on our attention. And we do that by bringing our attention onto the breath. So I always talk, you know, why are, why are there elite military people doing this? Why are there SWAT it's like one of our instructors for oxygen advantage is a SWAT instructor. Um, why are there professional MMA fighters doing this? You know, why are there people of all different walks of life in very, very high caliber situations and roles? And they do it because they want to be able to remain focused. They want to be able to make clear decisions in times of stressful situations. And you do that by con- taking control of the mind because As I said, we have been taught how to think. We've been taught how to break information into tiny pieces. Thinking is being seen as as good by society. But thinking is also problematic because we often have lost control of thinking. And you see people and you know that, you know, you might be talking to them. They're not there at all. They're not listening to you. Their attention is totally consumed by thought. This is worth connecting with the breath. We will never waste attention. Yes, of course, there is a time to think. But there, are, there is also a time to take attention out of the mind and onto the breath, into the body, and to slow down breathing. And I think it's a tremendous thing to do. So, you know, sometimes we think of the guy who's doing yogi or the gal who's doing yogi, and you have to be sitting in the lotus position and all this perfect posture yeah, it's well, you know, it's it's not about that. It's about you, your your life is a meditation. You we have two choices here. We're either stuck in our head, completely consumed by thought, asleep to everything that's going around us, or we are taking our attention into the present moment through the breath, and we see more and we miss less, and also we are happier. So it's not about the yogi. It's about normal everyday life. Get your attention out of your mind and don't live stuck in your head. And one way to help get out of your mind is connect with the breath. We love that because uh, we'll we'll often encourage clients to find tactile ways to basically put their brain back into their bodies because yes. with technology, especially, we can literally just disappear from the room that we're in 
And I yeah. think one of the benefits of um, walking outside right now with this lockdown is that for the first time we're seeing uh, no one on their phone. Everybody has their eyes up because they're looking now. Granted, we all have to move away from one another when we see another human. Mm-hmm. But there's still acknowledgement of our environment yes. and of other people in a way that was non-existent in high population areas just a few weeks ago. People would bump into one another. They'd have their heads down in their phone. They'd miss the street they were supposed to turn on because they were lost in technology. Yes. Seeing a, a dramatic yeah. switch to that. Um, but yeah, connecting with the breath is lovely because it just affects everything else and gets us out of our, our little uh, brain carrier. Yeah, yeah. And you're right about technology. You look at the increased anxiety and mental health issues especially in young girls you know and we're really living in a world and people are living in a bubble that's totally disparate and totally removed from reality mm-hmm. and that's why i would say like i go on to instagram and of course we use it because we're putting our own message out there but look at who is posting on instagram you don't see normal people um posting their faces, their bodies on Instagram. You see people who are generally very attractive, people who have got six packs, people who are well toned. But the problem with this is that every time you go on six, when you go on Instagram, you're seeing good looking people. And then you could have a tendency to say, well, God, I don't look like that. And everybody on Instagram is really good looking. But all we're seeing on Instagram is a very small, selective group of the population. They are the ones that are posting. So we've got a very skewed perception of what reality is. I think mental health issues, social media has really done a lot of problems here. Mm-hmm. It's created a lot of problems. And uh, if you look at the history and, you know, look at some of the platforms and the, the like button, which was engineered, like it's, you know, there's addictive qualities to it. And really, what is the motive of some of these companies to, but to keep you hooked? And to have you spend as much of your time looking into their screens. And of course, they're very clever people at the back of it. They've brought in MBAs. They've brought in psychologists. They know all about human behavior. And they know every little button to push. And we are the idiots. We are often ones because we are not thinking about how we are using our time. Can you imagine waking up of a Tuesday morning and saying, well, I'm going to today, I'm going to spend two and a half hours looking into a bloody phone. Wow, what a life. What a life indeed. <laughs> and it and it's true with uh platforms like Instagram. I think it was roughly a year ago. I think some some people quit the company because they were a little bit too disgusted with the tactics that they were using. Like they were delaying how, you know, it, let's say ten people liked your post, they would actually delay those likes so that when you checked back in, there'd only be six. And then you'd have to check in again to see who else. So it would they were doing all of these really sure. bizarre and awful things to yeah. get people to continue going back into the app. So you're totally right on that. It's a really crazy world out there, and it's not real. Even all these attractive, quote-unquote, healthy, whatever people you want to call, you're getting the tip mm-hmm. of the iceberg. You don't know what's going on there. And a lot of these exactly. influencers have massive yeah. health problems themselves. So it's, yeah. uh, you can't yeah. believe what you see. Totally. But we know that with like I'm 46 years of age and yeah, life has taught me that, but it hasn't taught it to the youngster. And you know, that group that are very vulnerable, especially teenagers, they've got enough pressures on them. And uh, yeah, I think I think we really need to balance it. This is where sports and athletics are offering such a tremendous role. And, you know, they're really bridging it. Yeah. And parents need to realize about this, you know. They really, really, they really need to keep keep a, a grip of it. Yeah, absolutely. So one, uh, one of our last little questions here, um, especially in this this time we're living in right now, leveraging our body's immunity is really important. We we know that we've always known that, but now with the virus out there, it's really top of mind. Now nasal mm-hmm. breathing can this be a good defense against uh, contracting a virus and and helping maintain a healthy immune system? I think it can be, you know, it's like you could ask me then, well, is there science in COVID-19? There's not. Um, but let's look at it. Look at the functions of the nose. And uh, the, the one of the functions of the nose is the release of nitric oxide into the lower airways. And nitric oxide was first discovered on the exhaled breath of the human being in 1991. And they know, like if Professor, Dr., um, Professor John Lundberg from the Karolinska Institute in Sweden He'll talk about the antiviral effects of nitric oxide. 
And also in 2005, they did laboratory experiments with nitric oxide and SARS, which was a coronavirus. And they found that the administration of nitric oxide to SARS, it inhibited the replication cycle. Now, what would I do? Well, I was in tube stations. I was had a very hectic travel schedule right up until the 17th of March. And that's when I flew in from Los Angeles. I was exposed to everybody. Um, and what did I do when I was on packed tubes? Well, I did two things. I breathed it through my nose and I breathed it as little air as possible because we have to bear in mind this this virus is trans transmitted by airborne particles. And if I'm breathing with my mouth hanging open, well, I've literally got no defense. Now, I know that doctors aren't talking about nasal breathing. Um, and nasal breathing is important, not just for the person who's trying to avoid being infected, but also for the person who may have the infection themselves. So if one has an infection, and if you're around family members, don't breathe with your mouth because your mouth, there's a 42% greater water loss breathing out through the mouth. And COVID-19 is transmitted by particles, water particles that are spread into the air like an aerosol that are going to travel some distance. And if they're inhaled by another individual close to you, well, you know, you're transmitting an infection there. So nasal breathing could be very beneficial for all people involved. Now, the other thing that I would say is that when there is a degree of breathlessness or if there's a difficulty in breathing, it will always manifest in a lower breath hold time. Keep an eye on your bolt score. This was used by doctors in Japan. Of course, it wasn't bolt score, but they said breath hold time. So doctors in Japan did put it out to their population that keep an eye on your breath hold time. And if your breath hold time goes below 10 seconds, well, you know, you really do have an issue with breathlessness. So, of course, you would have to seek medical medical intervention there. Now, with that, is there a way to breathe in order to improve oxygen uptake in the blood? There is. And it's not by breathing fast and shallow. And the thing about something like a respiratory condition, when the airways are constricted, you feel that you're not getting enough air. And it's inevitable that you want to breathe harder and faster. But this will make your symptoms worse. So what I would say to people is, if you are, you know, if you do think that you have a breathing issue, put your hands either side on your lower of your lower ribs and breathe very slowly through your nose, but breathe in for a count of four seconds and breathe out for a count of six seconds. You shouldn't hear your breathing. So it doesn't make sense to breathe harder or take big breaths. It doesn't increase oxygen uptake. It doesn't increase oxygen delivery. You breathe really slowly. And I did get the PDF that was transmitted in hospitals in China to patients post-COVID, and their instruction was similar to the breathing exercise that I gave you there. Now, it's not new. Um, an Italian cardiologist, Luciano Bernardi, was using it with his patients with chronic heart failure. I've used it with my clients coming in, some of them too, had chronic heart failure. And I was able to see blood oxygen saturation increase in individuals who were showing that they were in mild hypoxia, their, their SpO2, their blood oxygen saturation down to 92%. And by simply having the people put their hands either side of their lower two ribs and breathe low and gentle and slow. That's all. Very simple. I could witness their blood oxygen saturation increase. The same exercise had began to people climbing Kilimanjaro um, and individuals at a reasonably good height that their blood oxygen saturation were 80%, that by changing their breathing pattern to six breaths per minute, they could increase their, their blood oxygen saturation 89%, which is from severe hypoxia to mild hypoxia. So, yeah, there's a number of things you could be doing. And also to influence immunity, breath holding is pretty good. Don't do it, of course, if you're pregnant or if you have any, you know, health issues, including high blood pressure or anything like that. But you can also do this to decongest your nose. Take a normal breath in and out through your nose, hold your nose, and walk holding your breath until you feel a medium to strong air hunger. And then let go and breathe in through your nose. That will influence your immune system. Now, is there scientific clinical trials there? No, there's not. We have 20 clinical trials for asthma. Traditionally, um, we always seen people with asthma that their chest infections would reduce. I know if I had a head cold, the first thing that I would do is I would do strong breath holds, three to five repetitions, six times daily. 
and I've been able to shift head poles in one day, you know, and I've done it very, very quickly by deliberately holding my breath. And there's only one paper on it, which came from the Wim Hof method, which involves hyperventilation and breath holding. I don't think you have to hyperventilate to get the influence, but most certainly um, the breath holding did influence the immune system and making the immune system better able to resist endotoxins when they were injected into individuals doing the Wim Hof method. So yeah, I think it's an interesting for, for people who want to protect themselves. If you're around a group of people, don't breathe hard. You know, if I'm in a, a shop, because we are allowed, you know, to go to supermarkets and if there's somebody in the aisle, well, I need to walk past that person, but I'm going to hold my breath walking past them. And if I'm in the company of somebody, I'm going to take keep my distance and breathe hardly any air. You know, why not breathe less air? Does it make sense, especially when the virus is transmitted airborne? And breathing is part of that. It's not just transmitted when somebody coughs or sneezes, but it also is transmitted when somebody talks and breathes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we noticed when we were traveling, because we were traveling in the midst of all of this, mm-hmm. all the lockdowns, Europe was already locked down. We were coming back from the UK. And we always pay attention to nasal breathing when we're on planes, just because, I mean, the viral yeah. load on planes is high anyway on a good day. Yeah. But just intuitively noticed that anytime we pass people, I'd hold my breath. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't yeah. given it much thought until noticing it afterwards. But um, there is a lot of value there just in terms of, tuning in and at least keeping our mouths shut yeah totally i put out a webinar i was just kind of did a webinar this day last week or i think it was last wednesday or thursday and uh, i was through zoom so it, i didn't realize only 100 people could attend but so i put recorded the webinar anyway it was 41 minutes and i uh, put it out on youtube and just checked the numbers this morning 115 or twenty thousand people had viewed it that's fantastic um, and yeah it was just in a few days but but I gave were the exercises for, you know, people who were, because there is a lot of anxiety out there. And I'd agree with you, Freya. It just makes intuitive sense. Breathe through your nose and breathe hardly any air in the company of others. Yep. And we'll link in that webinar because that's uh, fantastic. People can go and look and get um, details on the exercises that you went through on that. Mm-hmm. Great. All right. And so on that note, we have a few final wrap-up questions that we like to ask all of our guests. Uh, this is the ones where you trick people up when they're tired, is it? That's just it. Yeah, exactly. We've had you just keep going and going for an hour now. And now we're going to hammer you with some really tough ones, okay? Sure. All right. Shoot. Over the past year, what is the most impactful book you've read? Um, one that's very good at the moment is The Coddling of the American Mind. And it gives me, you know, a little bit of a taste of um, the future. And there's also a very good book. I'm going to give you a second one here. It's called Brett. And it's by a guy called James Nestor. I was lucky enough to get a a forward copy of it. It's not out until May. There's a couple of books there. But The Coddling of the American Mind is super. Very good. Great. We haven't heard of that one. Um, And we'll keep an eye out for breath. Mm -hmm. Now, what is your non-negotiable self-care tool or habit? We know you travel a lot and uh, currently everybody is grounded, but what is the daily act that you put towards your health? Well, it's, it's like, I suppose with, with breath itself, I think it's, it's, it's just a part of me. I'll always bring some attention into the body and onto my breathing. It's just it made such a difference to my own life. And I, I was one of those individuals with a very active and, uh, incessant thought activity mind so i I know the challenges of switching it off um but yeah that's just something i do and i love going out for walks i'm not an athlete so i don't do really intense physical exercise but you know it's just i'm more the quiet side of quiet side of things an introvert who who likes you know my own space Mm -hmm. we love that yep you're preaching to the choir over here (laughs) (laughs) Now, you may have just answered this, but if you had five minutes with someone else, what one thing would you try and impart to help them with their well-being? I would never be anxious about the future in terms of life looking after oneself. And I think quietening the mind has something got to do with that, that life is just a bit softer. So, yeah, if I was to talk to somebody, I would say, yeah, it's uh, the future is, is really what we make of it. And um, we do have to, to apply ourselves to the best of our abilities. We mightn't like the space that we are in now, but it changes. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, 
I've worked in jobs that I absolutely hated. And you have two options. You can still work in misery or you can say, well, I'm going to learn something out of this job and I'm going to get the hell out of it. So yeah, life works. That's fantastic. Finally, last but not least, where can people find you? Um, we've got Instagram after I've given out about it. Uh, come on, join me. <laughs> Follow me on Instagram. <laughs> And uh, we're on Facebook and uh, YouTube as well. So there's two websites, butecoclinic.com. That's B-U-T-E-Y-K-O clinic.com. That's health and that's where we have all of the children's exercises up there free of charge. And uh, then oxygenadvantage.com is where we have articles on nasal breathing, running and stimulating vagus nerve and things like that. So yeah, it depends if you're into sports or if you're into health. It's kind of two different websites. Yeah. And Oxygen Advantage, you have the book linked in there as well as courses and advanced yeah. like masterclass. Yeah, there's right? always, it's it's full on. We're very fortunate. We've, we've been, you know, it's it's actually got busier. Um, I suppose people now have the time to, to really consider breathing and the role it's playing. It's, it's a hot topic now. So I'm fortunate. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's, I mean, necessary. <laughs> exactly mm, for sure for sure yeah we all breathe so uh i think <laughs> yeah. if uh, anybody has made it through these uh, past 60 minutes listening to this conversation i think they'll understand the impact that nasal breathing can have and uh we would just like to thank you for coming on today and uh we'll catch everybody next time on the move daily health podcast yeah thanks very much enjoyed it we hope you enjoyed our conversation to hear more head on over to stitcher or itunes and subscribe to the move daily health podcast And don't hesitate to leave us a review. Thanks for listening.